Man, we're gonna be blessed tonight, I think, by what the Lord has to say to us and what he wants to speak to us just today. If we haven't met before, my name is, is Andy, and now we have met. We're no longer strangers. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, it's always an incredible honor for me whenever Brent gives me the opportunity to preach to this church that I love so much. And I wanna say thank you to, to this church for being so easy for your pastors to love, all right? Like, I can genuinely say I love my church. You know, all pastors can't say that. Did you know that? They probably would all say it, but some of them are lying, all right? But I can say it, and I can... I can really honestly mean it. Thank you for being a church that is just so easy for your pastors to love and to lead here. And uh, has anybody, anybody at any of our campuses ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Anybody out there? It's kind of an old movie now. Yeah, if you're, if you're like under my age, you might be. It's, it was 1995 that movie came out. And it's Tom Hanks as the title character, Forrest. And probably, arguably, Tom Hanks' most lovable, memorable character ever, you know? And uh, in 1995, I believe it won five Academy Awards, five Oscars, including Best Picture. So we got a lot of recognition with, with critics everywhere. But, man, I love that story of Forrest Gump because it's, it's really, if you boil it down to its real core, it's, it's really just about a story about learning to expect the unexpected, right? And, and the surprises that life just kind of sends our way. And one of the most famous lines for the movie, one of the opening dialogues when, when Forrest is sitting there on the bench next to someone, right? And he, he turns to them and he goes, you know, Mama always said that life is like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get, right? And I'm horrible at impressions. If you know me, I stink at it. But, but you, you get the point, right? Forrest Gump, in all of his wisdom, said that life is like a box of chocolates. And it's true. You know, what, you know what I'm saying? Like Christmas time, anybody get boxes of chocolates at Christmas time? I always get a few. And let's be honest, it's just like playing Russian roulette, right? And so it's, that's what it's all about. And now they give you like a, like a six-page itemized catalog in there to like help you figure out what's what. But it might as well be Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? Like it's like you've got three swirls on this one, but if it's altered by like a slight, you know, three-degree angle, then instead of getting chocolate truffle, you're going to get some nasty lemon cream or something. Like, I, no one likes the lemon cream. Can we just say that? Like, I like lemon, but not, I don't know what, it, it's just, it's weird, all right? Like, it's just an experience that Forrest Gump somehow just kind of honed in and boiled all of life down to that one really simple statement, didn't he? That, you know, in life, like, things are just unpredictable, that there are moments and seasons in our life that we're just not sure what happened. We're not really sure how we got there, right? You know, something that's interesting that happens when you preach is that oftentimes God makes you live out what you're preaching. And this week was just a weird one for me. Like so many things that I wasn't expecting. And like I had the privilege this week of having vehicle problems. Anybody here ever have vehicle problems? Yeah, like that's the best, isn't it? On the busiest day of the week when I've got the most things to cross off my wonder list and the most things to get done, you go to start the car and there's just nothing there, right? And it's like, awesome, I really needed this today. This was, this was in the plan. I was prepared for this. I had, you know, $400 to put a new starter car in my budget all set aside for today. Like I'm excited that this happened, you know, like we just, we don't see that stuff coming, right? And you, you know what I'm talking about. You know those weeks when everything just seems to kind of hit the fan at once, right? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm serious. Some of, us, some of us here had a week that mine would just make it just pale in comparison, right? Like some of us maybe went through, I have no way of knowing at every campus and online, like what's really going on in each of our lives. But I do know that in a crowd this size, that some of us really went through the ringer this week. And that there's some of us maybe that, I, I, I don't know, maybe we lost somebody we loved and maybe... Maybe your kids are just making you want to pull your hair out or slap somebody, whichever one comes first, you know what I mean? Or, or you know, maybe, maybe somebody that you love just got that dreaded diagnosis this week. Maybe your marriage just isn't what it used to be and what you expected out of marriage is just not happening. And, and I don't know, but maybe you're just feeling like life is like a box of 
Life is like a box of chocolates right now. And all, all we ever really wanted out of life was predictability, right? To be able to get up and, and to, to have our plan set in place and to have it all go the way we wanted to. And the thing is, is that at the end of the day, none of us have any real guarantee of what tomorrow is going to look like, do we? Now, we've got a plan. And most days, the plan will go according to how we set it out. But we really have no idea what's going to happen when we wake up tomorrow. We have no idea really what's going to happen next week or next month or next year. We have no guarantee. Life doesn't come with a handbook. There's no money-back guarantee. There is no warranty for life. And what I love about the book of Psalms and this book that we've parked in for this God Is series is that I think that it's probably the book that best illustrates the unpredictability of life in the whole Bible. All right, meaning that like if you, if you were just to, you know, again, playing Russian roulette and just crack the Psalms open to like any one particular Psalm, you never know what you're going to get, right? There's everything in there from chocolate truffles to lemon cream, all right? There's some days where the author of the Psalms is just excited about life and feeling good and man, God, you could not be any better to me and you bless me and you crush the heads of my enemies underneath my feet like God, you are so good. And then the next day it's like, God, what the heck? Where did you go? Why have you, why have you forsaken me? You know what I mean? Like he's just, life is the best to life isn't even worth living. Like that's, we, we see that whole picture of everything in the Psalms. And man, I, I really think that illustrates life for us really well. And we parked in Psalm 23 to kind of ask ourselves this question, like who is God? Like to fill in the blank in the statement, God is what? And over the past few weeks, Pastor Brent has, has shown us that God is good and that God is God and God is with us. And today I want us to realize and to take note that God is for us, all right? So if some of you hardcore note takers out there, that's your title. You can write that down or put that right at the top of your, top of your page. But King David, who wrote this psalm, wrote most of the psalms, really. But for those of us who are maybe just coming in new to this series, we're coming in hot, that, that King David, I think it's worth noting, is also the same David who killed the warrior giant Goliath with nothing but a rock and a slingshot. You know what I mean? That, that even if you're brand new to church and you've never ever really read your Bible before, you've heard of David and Goliath, right? Like we all have. And so King David, who wrote this Psalm 23 that we just all recited together from memory, every single one of us without cheating, right? Like that King David is the same one who, who killed Goliath. And, you know, he was, his life began just kind of normal. Like he was, a, he was a lowly shepherd kid that God just sort of basically plucked out of, out of obscurity, hand-selected him to be not only the king of his nation, the king of Israel, like the superpower of the world at that time, but to become this influential spiritual figure really for the rest of history. A guy that, you know, a few thousand years ago we're still standing talking about here today. And the thing is that if you follow the arc of the story of David's life, I mean, that all sounds pretty great to be hand-selected and picked from obscurity by God himself. Like, that's pretty awesome. Like, on the best of days, that's all that probably most of us could hope for, right? But if you follow the arc of the story of David's life, like, it's not like everything was perfect from that point on. It's not like his life stunk, and then God showed up, and then everything was perfect, right? Like, if anything, David's life gets more complicated, and David's life gets more crazy. And I think David, many times in his life, had to ask himself the question, you know, what do we do when life doesn't go as planned? I don't think David probably was quite as acquainted with a nice box of ganong chocolates like you and I are, but he still knew what it meant for life to be unpredictable, right? He still knew what it meant to have to say, you know, how do I, how do I trust God when my plans go sideways? Or how do any of us trust God and believe him for his promises when nothing seems to be changing about our circumstance? How do we respond when God isn't giving us 
the answers that we so desperately want in our life. And if you were here last week, again, Pastor Brent highlighted out of Psalm 23 how how God is with us and that there's no greater comfort than that, right? Like when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as Brent loves to rap, and I kind of understand it's kind of hard not to when you say that, but like when we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, that we fear how much evil? We fear no evil, right? Because God is with us. Like he's on our back. He's got our six. He's dad, right? He's going to take care of everything. There's nothing we need to worry about. But that next line there in verse 4 of chapter 23 I love so much where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David wasn't afraid because God was with him, and apparently God carries a big stick, right? Like your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, he's really working the shepherding metaphor, right? Like Psalm 23 is really a giant shepherding metaphor. And as a kid who was a shepherd, when God told him he wanted him to be king, like he understood shepherding, right? And those of us that are here and listening to this today, wherever we're at, chances are there's probably not a ton of shepherds in the crowd. I'm just going to go out there. If you are, then I, I apologize. But that's not really in the top 10 careers of choice in North America these days. There's not too many of us that are doing that professionally any longer, but I think that we probably all can like get an image of a shepherd in our head when we start talking about that, right? You think of the nativity scene, we're coming up on Christmas, like two months away, guys, pretty crazy, all right? But we think of those shepherds, right? And they've always kind of got the garb on and everything, and and they've got a big stick, right? They always do. Like a lot of times it's got a hook on the end, you know, like a giant, delicious candy cane. I think they stole the idea from a candy cane from a shepherd's crook, actually. But anyway, like shepherds have this big stick, right? And probably had, you know, again, not being a shepherd, I had to do a little bit of research into maybe what a shepherd would have used a stick for. And could have been so many different things that that rod and staff could have represented. But I think the most obvious of which, so that David was talking about here when he said your rod and your staff coming, is that the rod represented protection, all right? That the rod represented protection. When David said your rod and your staff, they come from me, he's thinking and he's talking about like as a shepherd, like I had to use this thing to protect my sheep and my flock from the lions and the bears, right? Like, and so he's saying that your rod and your staff, they comfort me, God. When I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. So that means that those, those bears and those lions in our life that are kind of lurking at the edge of our forest, just waiting for us to trip, waiting for us to mess up, waiting for us to twist our ankle and to fall into a pit, so they can pounce and they can steal, kill, and destroy. David says, no, when, when God's with me, I don't have to worry. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. There's no greater comfort than that. But I think, I think that David probably would have also understood as a, as a good shepherd that there's another piece to that as well, that protecting the sheep with that rod sometimes also meant using it on the sheep. You know what I'm saying? Are you getting what David's saying? I think that that maybe that there were some times when the sheep needed a little bit of course correction, right? They needed a little bit, they needed just a little bit of discipline, maybe, because I don't know, there's one thing that we know about sheep, and I think Pastor Brent established the very first week, is that sheep are stupid, right? And keeping what is stupid safe is not always an easy job, right? And there are moments, from what I've read, what I understand, that when shepherds kind of have to go to some more drastic measures to keep some of their sheep safe, right? Whether that's just giving them a nice little crack and telling them to go in the different direction, if they're walking off the path, you know, throwing the stick to steer them back onto the right path and to sort of wake them up a little bit. And even in extreme cases, maybe that these shepherds would would literally weigh down one of the legs of a sheep, that if it, if it wouldn't stop running away, if it, if it couldn't trust that the shepherd knew where was safe and where was best for the sheep to be, and if he just couldn't keep it with the others and keep it where he could watch it and in his line of sight where he could take care of it, then they would weigh down the legs of these sheep so that they weren't able to move 
on their own. And I mean, that doesn't sound super pleasant, right? And it doesn't sound super fun for the sheep, but I think that the shepherd understood something, and David understood something about shepherding and understood something about our relationship with our Heavenly Father is that sometimes, you know, even if the sheep doesn't even understand, and even if it's difficult, and if it's frustrating, and it's annoying for the sheep, sometimes keeping it safe and keeping it from being eaten by a lion means we have to do a little bit of course correction, right? I think that David understood that sometimes protection required a little bit of discipline, all right? And I know that we're dipping our toes into a little bit of uncomfortable water here. Like, no one wants to think about God as a, as a disciplinarian, right? He's a good shepherd, like, that, you know, carries a sheep on his back and, like, pets them, you know, like they're little kittens or something like that. Like, no, we don't think about God as a disciplinarian, right? But I think that if we've got any parents at any campus, say, anybody listening, that, that you, you may understand this with me just a little bit, right? That, you know, as, as a dad, like, I've got to keep my kids safe, right? And I don't want to hurt my kids. I don't want to see them experience any pain, but I will gladly smack my kid's hand if he's reaching for a hot stove, Right? Not because I want to, like, confuse him or frustrate him. Like, if I tell my kids not to go play in the street and they go play in the street, I've got to instill some sort of discipline, right? Not because I like to see them go through difficulty. Not because I like to see them frustrated. Not because I like to to take the things that they enjoy. But because I need them to understand that at the end of the day, they have to trust that I know best, right? That as their dad, there's just moments when they've just got to trust that I have their best interests at heart. And if I tell them not to do something and not to go somewhere, not to do it, like they've just got to, it's got to be enough for them that dad asks them to play in this arena, to stay within these confines, right? Something's got to reinforce for our kids. Something's got to reinforce for the sheep how crucial it is that we trust the shepherd and that he knows what's best, right? Dad knows what's best. The shepherd knows what's best for the sheep, his sheep. The heavenly father knows what's best for every single one of us, right? And David understood this truth all too well, right? Not just because he was a shepherd, but also because he was a child of the king. And even though he was the king of Israel, that he, the Bible called David a man after God's own heart. So he knew God very well. But like I said, his, his life story wasn't always, always uh, sunshine and roses. Like there were some moments that got pretty dark. Probably the most famous example that many of you will be familiar with is that there was a moment in David's life when he saw a beautiful woman and he decided to sleep with her and then through that got her pregnant. And then because of that, he wound up in a, in a, in a roundabout way murdering her husband to try and cover the whole thing up. And just when he got away with it, God in that moment had to step in and God sent a prophet to talk to David and to sort of call him out and to speak some really difficult truths and then had to enforce some difficult, some really difficult consequences in David's life so that he would understand what was at stake. And even the Apostle Paul, if you want to look for a New Testament example, you fast forward to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, another massive hero of the faith, wrote most of the books in the New Testament. You could probably quite easily draw a lot of parallels to say that the Apostle Paul is kind of the New Testament equivalent to David in the Old Testament. Very kind of similar. But Paul also understood that, man, sometimes protection of God required a little bit of discipline because before Paul was Paul, He was Saul, right? Many of us know this, and he devoted his entire life to destroying the church, not building it. He devoted his entire life to persecuting Christians, and then one day, God shows up. He's on the road to Damascus to do just that. God shows up in his life and knocks him off his horse and knocks him on his back on the ground, and he's blind for a few days, and God sends people into his life to speak hard and difficult truths, and in that moment and in that act of discipline, like, changes everything and changes everything about the course and the direction of Paul's life. David understood that protection requires discipline. Paul understood 
that protection requires discipline. Listen, God won't let you, he won't let us walk down a path that will ultimately lead to our disappointment and to our failure. Did you know that? Like that's not his heart for you. He's not above smacking us upside the head maybe if we need a little bit of it, right? Like he's not above that because at the end of the day, he wants us to be happy, right? And God could never love us any more than when he chooses to step in and enact a little bit of discipline in our life. Did you know that? Like again, I got to appeal to the parents in the room here, right? I, I don't discipline my kids because I enjoy it. You know that? Like, I actually hate it. Like, for me, when I actually choose to step in and discipline my kids, that's when I love them the most. If I'm honest, it's easier for me to just let them do whatever they want. Right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like, some days it's just like, I don't want to have to make this a thing. Like, maybe they just, you know, will somehow dodge all the cars and traffic and I won't have to deal with it. Right? Like, what, whatever it is. But, but, but choosing to follow through on some discipline, choosing to enforce some consequences, that requires more love and effort on my part as a dad than maybe any other parenting thing does. Right? Because sometimes I know that in order to keep my kids safe, I've got to enforce some consequences. The shepherd understands that sometimes to keep the sheep from actually getting eaten by a lion, we've got to disable its leg. There's some course correction that needs to happen. God will go to every possible length to save you, church. Did you know that? He's going to go to every possible length to to shelter you and to insulate you from your sin, but sometimes that'll hurt, and it's almost always unexpected because we're sheep, right? And we get, we get tunnel vision. Like we just see that green, lush, delicious grass in front of us and it's all we can think about and it's all we can see and we're going for it. But we don't see the snake in the grass. But the shepherd does. And then when the course correction steps in, it's like, oh man, God, why would you do this to me? Like my life, my whole life is falling apart. But we have no idea what we were just saved from in that moment. And I think that we have to ask ourselves, you know, in those moments and in those, in those seasons of our life, like how, do I, how do I respond to God's course correction in my life? How do I respond to God's discipline in my life? How do I respond to the rod and the staff in my life? And I think that when we remember that God is for us, that the good shepherd is for us, that even in the discipline and the pain, we can realize that, man, that's when God's holding us closer than ever before. And I think a powerful truth that we really, really need to recognize, man, is that it really is the most loving moments possible when God chooses to step in and intervene in our lives. He's only doing it for our good. And I think David, when he read through, when he, re- he wrote the Psalm 23, that he realized, man, that he could look back on his life and say, you know what? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And maybe it, it, it sucked in that season and I, and I hated it. But at the end of the day, I could look back and say, wow, yeah, your rod and your staff that cover me. David saw purpose in the pain. David saw beyond his momentary affliction to the greater promise that God had spoken over his life. And I love this. Like if, you, if you look in the book of Proverbs, that later on in life, David's son, Solomon, actually in Proverbs, wrote some really powerful words about that. He said in in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he said, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Like David's own kid wrote that, you know, later on. So at some point, David did something right. Like he, he passed that concept on to his son, Solomon. You know what I mean? And I think that when we recognize 
that we're sheep and that we can trust the good shepherd, that's, that's, a, that's a game changer. Like the weight around our leg sucks and it's all consuming in that season and it hurts and it's frustrating and maybe we don't understand. But if we can learn not to despise the discipline, like Solomon said, if we can learn not to resent the rebuke, we can find some purpose there, church. We can find some freedom there, man. That's where God does maybe some of the best work in our entire life. And I think another really important truth we've just got to understand in that moment, something God wants you to know, he needs us to know, is that, listen, failing does not make you a failure, all right? Somebody at one of our campuses needs to hear that right now, that failing does not make you a failure, all right? That God doesn't look at you any differently at any moment or any season of your life. He doesn't look at you and say, well, yeah, you did that. Now it's too late. You crossed the path. You can't get back. Like for us, we love to beat ourselves up. We love to say, man, I'm unworthy. I've done too much or I've gone too far. Listen, you, God has demonstrated time and time and time again in the Bible that he has no problem working through some really jacked up people. All right? Like if you look at most of the main heroes in the Bible, like there are people that I, if I was in the selection committee, I'd be like, listen, that dude is bat guano crazy. Right? Like he, need, like he needs to be in an insane asylum. And God looks at him and goes, nope. That'll work. That's perfect. I want him. It's not about anything he can do on his own. It's not, it's not her. It's not anything that she's got, but it's like me at work in them. That I'll receive the glory and be able to do miracles through them. Like, listen, if you're, if you're beating yourself up because of your mistakes, don't. Just stop it because God won't, and he doesn't. There's nothing we could ever do to change or alter the way that God sees us. The same way that there's nothing my kids can do to change or alter the way that I see them. Like, how much more does God love us, right? And I think that the kind of, this kind of discussion always leads to that, that age-old question, right? Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, are all the bad things in my life because God's mad and he's disciplining? Listen, there's actually a really easy answer to that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's not so much of an answer as it is a statement, right? There are no good people. Did you know that? Like the scriptures actually say that the, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Like we in our heads like to think, man, well, I did everything right. I, I, I said all the right things. Like I, I maybe kept the commandments. Like I didn't, I didn't punch anybody in the face even though I really wanted to, God. Or I didn't curse that person out. Or, you know, I didn't run that red light. Whatever. Like I've been a good person. Why would bad things happen to me? That's not, that's not the way the world works. That's not the way that God works. He doesn't judge us based on our actions. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that you could ever do to earn the love of God. But you know what's awesome about that too is that there's nothing you could ever do to lose the love of God either. It just is. It's just there. He just extends it and covers it over every single one of us, all of his creation. You know, the only reason that junk exists and sin exists in this world in the first place, right, is because, because we brought it here, because we chose to go against what God said. And then God in that moment said, all right, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, sure, so, so I'll die for you. I'll do that for you. I'll send my son for you because I love you that much. That's the God that we love. You can't earn his love, but you can't, you can't lose it either. Don't beat yourself up for anything you've done wrong. David came to the conclusion toward the end of his life when he wrote Psalm 23 that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Everything he did, everything he'd gone through, he said, your rod and your staff, they come for me. And then if, if the rod equal protection in David's life, and I'm, I'm wrapping up with this, I promise. This is, this is me landing the plane here. But if, if the rod equal protection in David's life, I think he may have also come to the conclusion that the staff equal provision. 
That, you know, if, if the rod was protection and discipline in our life, that maybe the staff was like the shepherd's way of, of kind of gently prodding here and there and gently nudging the sheep just to, just to show them where they needed to go, right? Again, some of my research into shepherding, that they would use this staff to, to count the sheep and to take inventory of the sheep and make sure everybody was okay, that they would use the staff to, to turn the sheep and to, to inspect them and to make sure they didn't have any wounds or no injuries or they'd use it to make sure they didn't have any burrs in their wool and, and things like that, that the staff actually symbolized to David maybe the meeting of his needs and God taking care of all his needs. Someone needs to hear this today, church, that there's, there's no need in your life that God doesn't want to meet. Do you know that? There, there's no need that you have in your life that God does not want to meet. The rub with that comes when we start to confuse the things that we want with the things that we need. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many times that maybe what we think we want is actually the exact opposite of what we need. And that's where we tend to get, to get frustrated. Shepherds don't only protect their sheep, but they also provide their sheep, right? Again, as a dad, I don't just protect my kids I also provide for them. And I don't know about you as a parent, but for me, when I look at my kids, listen, I'd do anything for those two crazy little freaks I call boys, right? Like, they drive me crazy sometimes. But at the end of the day, like, their joy and their peace, their contentment, their satisfaction, their security in life, man, my, my heart is for that. Like, I would literally move mountains if I could to protect them and to watch over them, but also make sure that they've got everything they need in their life. And your good shepherd, your heavenly father, he looks at you, he looks at me, he looks at us the exact same way. You know, I love that old verse in the Bible that talks about if if his eyes on the sparrow, how much more is it going to be on us, right? Like if God cares about the silly little songbirds and he makes sure that they're fed and he makes sure that they've got what they need. I mean, how much more for you and I will he move mountains to make sure we have what we need, right? That you have been created in the image of God. Did you know that? When he made everything else and he made you and he put his fingerprint on you and said, mm, I'm putting my image into this piece of my creation and then said, man, I, I, like God is gonna do anything he can to make sure you've got everything you need in your life. And another Psalm 34 David, David wrote this a little bit later in the book. He said, he said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a verse we love to recite. Blessed, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. I love this. For those who fear him have no lack. He's, we're just supposed to be terrified of God. We're supposed to be afraid of God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about having respect, a healthy respect for who God is, a healthy respect for the way God wants to protect us and provide for us in our life, a healthy respect for the rod and the staff. And then in verse 10, I love this. I friggin' love this, all right? Read this. He says, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David is saying, listen, the lions that are on the edge of your life that are waiting for you to slip up so they can, they can move in and they can steal and they can kill and they can destroy in your life. Right now, today, they're going hungry. They want and they hunger because God is in the house, Right? He's here. He's got his rod and his staff. They protect me. God provides for me. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. That there is no good thing, no need in your life that God does not want to meet. That he does not want to provide. That's how we find comfort in the fear of God. That's how David finds comfort in the rod 
and the staff. That's how David finds comfort and security in the unpredictability. And so for us, friends, church, at, at every campus, like what's it, what's it gonna be for us? In those moments when we're maybe receiving or we feel as if we're receiving a little bit of a course correction and life is just kind of like turned out completely differently than we expected. In those moments, do we fear? Do we tremble? Do we give in to anxiety? Do we stress and obsess over all our mistakes and all the places that we screwed up and all the things that we could have done differently? No, I don't think so. Maybe there's a time to mourn and to grieve and reflect on what's happened, but at the end of the day, if we learn and we believe that we can trust the shepherd because he's for us and we can trust the correction, we can trust the discipline, it changes It changes the lens through which we see our life. It changes the lens through which we see ourselves when we understand and believe that God is for us. David, at the end of his life, said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He found a purpose in the pain. Recognizing that, that not all pain is from God, but any pain God can redeem and can use to your benefit and can use to the benefit of this world. God specializes in restoring what was taken from us. And then he, then he turns around and he invites us as his kids, as his church, those of us who have invited his protection and his provision into our life. He turns around to us and says, now I want you to help me. I want you to bring heaven to earth. I want you to bring heaven to earth in your life. I want you to bring peace where there was once calamity. I want you to bring heaven to earth in the lives of your neighbors and the life of the people in your church and the lives of your community and in your city. And in the face of war, famine, disease, poverty, and all the junk that sin brought into this world, God says, now my kids, you turn and you, you bring heaven to earth into all of that. We had this amazing opportunity to lock arms with God and we've accepted his protection and his provision and taken comfort from his rod and his staff and it changes everything. Your pain, your pain, church, doesn't have to be the end of your story. Those seasons don't have to be the end of your story. They can be, they can be a turning point. They can be like that moment in the story, right? Like all the good stories where there's, a, there's always a moment where it feels like all hope is lost and the hero is doomed, right? Like maybe your pain can be the moment when the hero rises from the ashes. Maybe your pain can be the moment when we choose to trust and invite God to protect and provide for us in the very first time. Maybe, maybe we choose to be defined more by what we hear God promising and speaking over our life rather than what we see unfolding around us and in front of us right now in this season. And if God is for us, church, and if his protection and his provision then surround us, then who in hell can stand against us? I'm not cursing in church, I promise, but it's just a truth. Like if God is for us, then who in hell could ever stand against us? Because God is on our side. He's covered us with his protection and his provision, and it's all we need. He says even in moments when it doesn't, we don't understand and it doesn't make sense and things are changing and happening too quick and we can't keep up and it's not what we expected out of life, because life is like a box of chocolates, that in those moments, God just says, trust me. You know the good shepherd. You don't need to worry about that. We know the good shepherd. We know that he fights for us. We know that he stands in the gap for us. We know that he has mercy for us, protection for us, and provision for us, and grace for us, grace that is greater than 
all our sin, church, all of our failures, all of our shortcomings. Life might be like a box of chocolates. We might have no guarantee what's gonna happen tomorrow or the day after that. But you know what? We can be okay with that because we can know and trust the one who does, right? The one who holds it all, the one who calls us his own, the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness, the God that is for us. We pray for you, church. God, I thank you so much, Father, that it doesn't matter what life looks like to us right now, God, that we can trust that you are for us, God. Just as the psalmist prayed, Father, that we, we believe that your rod and your staff comfort us. God, help us to have insight into how you move and you work in our life, God. Help us not to despise the discipline or rebuke the correction, Father, but God, will we be able to trust you no matter what, Father? I'm, I'm praying and believing, God, for breakthrough in some people's lives here, God. There's some people that, that you need, they needed to hear this today, Father. They needed to hear from you, God, that you're doing work in their life right now that maybe is, is, it's never happened like this for them before, God. So would you begin to just, just peel back those layers in our life, God? Would you begin to just sift in through the muck and through the mess in our life right now, God, and find us and wrap wrap your arms around us, God. God, my prayer is for the person who for the first time says, God, I want that protection and that provision in my life. God, I want to trust you. I'm done trying to do this. I'm done trying to do this on my own. God, but we leave here today believing that you are for us. And if you are for us, then who could ever be against us? God, as your church and as your people, God, we want to be used by you, God. We want to bring heaven to earth. Thank you, God, that you don't see us the way that we see ourselves. God, thank you that you don't confuse us with our shortcomings, Father. Thank you that you don't see us as a failure, God. Thank you that even in our brokenness, you invite us to participate with you in bringing heaven to earth. God, today we say that we trust you and we believe that no matter what life looks like around us right now, that you are for us. God, and if you're for us, and that's, that's enough, that's enough. God, we ask all this in your name, the strong name of Jesus. Amen.